Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or you can download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 36 called A Historical Narrative. Okay, so we're going verse by verse through Isaiah, and we are in chapter 36. If you're new to Living Truth, this is what we do. Uh, On the midweek study, we are going through Isaiah, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. On Sunday mornings, we're in Luke, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And uh, we happen to be in uh, Isaiah 36 tonight, which is a, you might want to call it an interlude of a narrative. There's a historical narrative that kind of breaks up the two main sections of Isaiah. Isaiah's 1 through 35 is one main section. Then Isaiah's 40 through 66, those chapters are another main section. I told you that it's interesting when we first did an introduction to Isaiah, that the way Isaiah breaks down is the first 39 chapters deal with kind of the um, tragedy of Israel's unbelief and how it spilled over to Judah And then the last um, 27 chapters really deal with God's promises, his renewal, all of that. And it kind of divides like the Bible does. The Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament has 27 books. One deals really with what we call the Old Covenant. And then one deals with the New Covenant in Jesus Christ. So here what we have is we have a historical narrative. We're going to move from what's called Hebrew poetry And what I mean by that, when I say Hebrew poetry, I mean that the the way that the text lines up when you study it is that there is an A, B, A, B, A, B, C kind of uh, um, stream to the text. It's not that it's just poetry in the sense that it's not historical, but it's set up as poetry. It's set up in an A, B style, and it kind of goes back and forth that way. And when you study the book, you can see that style. Here we will take a break from that, and we will get into a narrative about how this all came to pass. What really happened? Did faith really, um, did the rubber really meet the road? Did it really pay off? Did all these warnings and promises and, and lack of faith, and then when it all came down and the army actually came to Judah to surround Jerusalem, did God intervene? Was it worth it? Is faith really what we talk about, or is it just some idea that sounds good until real life hits? That's the idea here. Then when we get to chapters uh, 38 and 39, it will set us up for the rest of the Hebrew poetry, which will be chapters 40 through 66. So again, don't be thrown off by the poetry. This is just more telling you about the symmetry or the way that the text kind of lines itself out. So what you have now is Isaiah 36, and here's the historical narrative. Now, it came about in the 14th year of King Hezekiah. He started ruling as a soul leader in 715 BC. And so in his 14th year, just if you are interested, this is 701 BC. So that's the historical date, uh, the 14th year of King Hezekiah. Shennacherib, that's the king of Assyria there in verse 1, Isaiah 36, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seize them. Now they dug up in, in archaeological discoveries the annals of Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, and found that he had chronicled that he had taken or devastated 46 Judean cities. And so 
This is verifiable outside of the Bible that there was some sort of siege that he had laid on this region. And now he is finally coming to the main hub of this region, which is Jerusalem. And so he comes upon the city by way of his uh, army and his representatives in 701 BC. Now, for our uh, own insight and knowledge, I want you to go to 2 Kings. Uh, so you're going to go back towards Genesis. Go to 2 Kings 18. You're going to find that there, this parallels Isaiah's account with a few things that Isaiah doesn't hit. And here's what it says. I want, I want to give you a little backdrop about Hezekiah and his personality and what he was about. Here's what it says. 2 Kings 18. Remember, the Kings and the Chronicle books in your Old Testament deal with the life of the kings, okay? So they give you some insight into things that you see in other books of the Bible. 2 Kings 18, verse 1. Now, it came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, he's the son of Ahaz, and remember, his father was disappointing when it came to faith because he's the one in Isaiah 7 that... Isaiah comes to him and says, ask God, God is with you, he's Emmanuel, just ask him. And Ahaz takes that pompous religious stance and won't ask God, and there's a lot that, uh, there's a price to be paid. He's the son of Ahaz, Hezekiah is, the king of Judah, he became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 3, according to all that his father David had done, he came from that line. He removed, this is what it means to do right in the sight of the Lord. He removed the high places, broke down the sacred pillars, verse 4, and cut down the Asherah. Those are all pagan um, gods and places of worship. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. Now, this is an interesting thing, because we know that the bronze serpent was something that Moses constructed when the children of Israel were rebelling against the Lord, and the fiery serpents came up, and they were biting the people. And God said, you will be saved if you look to this bronze serpent, you won't die. And there were many people who died that day. And Jesus used the analogy of looking to that serpent in the wilderness of people looking to him in faith. There's not a one-to-one correspondence, but there, it's kind of, uh, there's a connection at least there of looking to Jesus and believing on him to be healed and saved. But here's what people do often with symbols or items like this. They, they kind of make an idol out of it. And that's what they did with this. And they would burn incense to this thing and it became a distraction for the people. See, God doesn't want anything before him. There there are uh, things that can come up in your life that are not necessarily helpful. They may be harmful to your worship. Now we have crosses and we have things like that. But things that, that will take the place of God, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so this became really something that was a stumbling block. So he dealt with that. And I'm sure that was not a popular decision uh, in the land. Many people were very invested in this particular emblem. And for him to do this to that was unpopular. And sometimes what you're going to have to do as a leader is make some unpopular stands to make sure that your uh, ministry or your family is going in the right direction. 
I'm not saying just do things to do things. I'm saying smash the things that may be harmful to the faith of those that you are leading. And he trusted in the Lord, verse 5, the God of Israel, and this is going to be the key, he trusted in the Lord, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. I want you to see what he was about. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria, as we'll see in a moment, and did not serve him. And then it goes on to give us some other insights. But here's something else that I want to show you that I came across. Because, and I touched on this in a, in a past study. If you go to verse uh, 15, notice what happens. Hezekiah gave him, that is the king of Assyria, all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. So he tried through monetary giving to move the king of Assyria away. He tried to pay him a tribute, if you will, because he knew that the attack was coming to the city. And so uh, the, he gave the treasury that was in the temple, the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah, notice, even cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Now, Isaiah does not mention that in his account, but we do have that, and that's right after he's commended for being a great king and there was none like him. So there's a couple thoughts here. One is, we're all going to have hiccups of faith. We're all going to have times when the overarching theme of your life may be that you do the right thing most of the time, but maybe there's been a season in your life where you thought gold instead of God. You know what I'm saying? You thought, maybe I can do this and, and buy this guy off, and, and somehow this will you know, give us a reprieve. This will lessen the pressure. But oftentimes what we find is, though, even though we're a sincere person of faith, if we go back to trying to do it the world's way, we, we fail. It doesn't work. And what we find from these narratives is that it didn't matter to the king of Assyria because he had no scruples anyway. And so all he did was come back after he got what he wanted and put more pressure on the land. And that's what happens when you play ball with the world. You know what I'm saying? You try to do things their way. You try to say, okay, well, maybe I'll compromise in this area and I'll buy this, you know, I'll buy this off or I'll do that. And what, what ends up happening is it always comes back to bite you. But the good news is, is that though that's not hidden from our account, Hezekiah is still commended as a great king. And that gives me great hope. Because I know if you're like me, you've had hiccups of faith. There's been times in your life when you just turned left, when you should have turned right. You knew better, you had the knowledge, but somehow it just didn't go the way you... But, but don't you love it? Like when, when you look, read Hebrews 11 and you, you read what we call the great hall of faith, you see all these people commended and we know that they had warts and we know there were some problems in some of these stories of these people. They lacked faith sometimes, they lied sometimes. Uh, they weren't always, you know, right on. And we say, well, cool, if God can accept people like them, well, then maybe I've got a shot. I think that's what our journey of faith is about. It's not about perfection. Our journey of faith is about consistency. It's about growing. It's about hopefully coming to the end of a year and saying, you know what? I'm not the man or woman that I want to be, 
but I'm certainly not the man or woman I used to be. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. Try to say, okay, well, maybe I'll compromise in this area and I'll buy this, you know, I'll buy this off or I'll do that. And what, what ends up happening is it always comes back to bite you. But the good news is, is that though that's not hidden from our account, Hezekiah is still commended as a great king. And that gives me great hope. Because I know if you're like me, you've had hiccups of faith. There's been times in your life when you just turned left, when you should have turned right. You knew better, you had the knowledge, but somehow it just didn't go the way you... But, but don't you love it? Like when, when you look, read Hebrews 11 and you, you read what we call the great hall of faith, you see all these people commended and we know that they had warts and we know there were some problems in some of these stories of these people. They lacked faith sometimes, they lied sometimes. Uh, they weren't always you know, right on and we say, well, cool, if God can accept people like them, well, then maybe I've got a shot. I think that's what our journey of faith is about. It's not about perfection. Our journey of faith is about consistency. It's about growing. It's about hopefully coming to the end of a year and saying, you know what, I'm not the man or woman that I want to be, but I'm certainly not the man or woman I used to be. If you can come to the end of every year and at least find some hope in that kind of statement, I think you're doing well. Because you're never going to be perfect, so get that out of your mind. Because if you, if you think you're going to be perfect or if you get into a mode where you know, you're your own worst critic, uh, that can be a very difficult lifestyle to live. And so uh, let's go back to Isaiah. So here's the king now. But he's, he's got responsibility for all these people. And he's got pressure. And this, this army has come now. And... Um, Here's Assyria, and apparently they've done all this damage to 46 cities, and the king of Assyria sends uh, one of his delegates. This is probably his cupbearer, may have been his field general or his chief supervisor. This is Isaiah 36.2. The king of Assyria sent Rabshake from Lachish to Jerusalem. Lachish was about 30 miles southwest of Jerusalem, to the king. So he sends him to King Hezekiah, and he's got, notice, verse 2, Isaiah 36, a large army. He stood by the conduit of the upper pool, this is Rabshakeh, uh, on the highway to the fuller's field. Now, I want you to hold that note of where he's standing and go back to Isaiah 7. I want to show you, this is now Hezekiah's dad. Here's what happens. Isaiah 7 So this is a different threat. It's not the Assyrian army, but it's the threat of Syria and Ephraim coming against the king. And at this time, it's King Ahaz. Go to Isaiah 7, look at verse 2. When it was reported to the house of David, Isaiah 7, 2, saying, the Arameans have camped in Ephraim. His heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. 
Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 3, go out now, so he says to the prophet, go out now to meet Ahaz, that's the king of this time, Hezekiah's father, you and your son, Jer Jeshub, at the end of the conduit, note it, of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, take care, be calm, have no fear, do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin of Aram or Syria and the son of Remaliah. And then God gives the promise. Um, if you skip down to verse 10, then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz saying, ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol, as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. That sounded religious, but it was just false. He had no faith. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin uh, will be with child and bear a son, and you shall call, or she will call his name, Emmanuel. God is with you. But for Ahaz, he didn't take advantage of that. And Hezekiah had to undo the lack of faith of of his father. He had to knock down the idols that his father would not knock down. And he had to muster the faith in God that his father did not demonstrate. Some of you are here tonight and you don't have a godly heritage You're having to undo some things that have been done in your family history. There wasn't this line of faith. There wasn't a dad that, you know, did devotions with you or a mom that prayed with you. You had none of that growing up. And now here you are as an adult. You've embraced Jesus Christ. And now there's a lot of stuff that's got to be smashed. A lot of stuff that has to be undone. I'm one of those people. My dad left when I was four years old. I never saw him again. I grew up in a Roman Catholic household. I got some truth and some foundation there, but my family stopped going to church when I was about 12 or 13 years old. And I was pretty much navigating life on my own. I had a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of fear of God, but knew nothing about a relationship and had a whole lot of baggage from dad leaving and all that stuff. So I can tell you that that's my story. And some false gods had to be smashed and some things that dad did had to be undone and what i want to say to you is that there's hope for you let it start with your generation if if the past one didn't do it you do it you start because you know that building your house upon the rock is the best thing that you can do but your faith is going to be tested and the fruit of unbelief catches up to people and right in the same spot that his dad failed, now here comes the test for Hezekiah. Go back to Isaiah 36. And so here's this huge army, here's this devastating war machine, Assyria. And what will he do? Will he trust God? So here's what happens, Isaiah 36, 3. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. So First, he sends out some of his dignitaries, some of his leaders to meet this field general of the king of Assyria, Shennacherib's representative. And they're going to start to dialogue. 
The Eliakim is the palace administrator, if you will. And he comes out now, and he's going to hear what this representative has to say for the king of Assyria. And right away, you're going to see that Rabshakeh breaks into what we might call psychological warfare. Notice what he says in verse 4. Rabshakeh said to, said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria. What a title. What is this confidence that you have? If you have the New King James, it says, What confidence is this in which you trust? The NIV says of his question, On what are you basing this confidence of yours? Don't you know who you're dealing with? Don't you know that there's a huge army out here? What are you basing your confidence on? What do you think is going to happen here? I say, look at verse 5, Your counsel and strength for the war are only empty words. Now on whom do you rely? Or... We could put it this way, in whom do you trust? Doesn't it say that something like that on the dollar of the United States? Doesn't it say that on the court walls behind the judge? What does it say again? In God we trust? You've been listening to A Historical Narrative, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 36. Hey, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our Free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we'd love to connect with you. You can email or send Pastor Michael and the team here a letter. We love mail. You can get all the contact information at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. But our email address is contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And here's our mailing address. Are you ready? You can write Pastor Michael at P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. That's P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, as we begin to study Isaiah 36 and keep moving in the book of Isaiah, we see a historical narrative. And really the, at the center of this is the question, who are you going to trust? And it brings out some issues of faith. And faith is a challenging thing at times because we walk by faith and not by sight. And so without faith, Hebrews 11 says it's impossible to please God. God honors faith. But faith is obviously not sight, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. So what does that mean? Does that speak of blind faith? No. It speaks of faith in a God who makes promises. And though we don't see all of them right in front of us, or we don't always see them happen immediately, we are anchored in promises. Uh, not a matter, remember the, the word hope in the Bible, is not a matter of if, but when. And so hope is faith looking forward to the future. Things not yet realized, as Hebrews puts it, or not yet seen, but anchored in the faithfulness of God. Things like heaven, things like the new heavens and the new earth, every tear being wiped away, resurrection bodies, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we believe these by faith, but not blind faith, because we know that Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies at his first coming. And he promised his second coming, and he will fulfill prophecies then as well. 
So that's what I mean. There's a pattern of God's faithfulness, and we place our faith in his faithfulness. Hope that helps you at least with a quick treatment of the question of faith. And of course, God does honor faith. The disciples said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. And they said that in the heels of Jesus teaching about forgiveness. And so, hey, we all get it. We need more faith. But God is a God who, when we say, Lord, increase our faith, I believe he will honor that. This is Pastor Michael Lance. This is Walk in Truth. We're walking through the book of Isaiah, an incredibly powerful and challenging book. And we're spending some time in some historical narrative. The The book will swing as we move into chapter 40 with some uh, different wonderful content. We're, we're going to get into several servant songs about the Messiah. Uh, so much incredible stuff coming ahead. The emphatic teaching on the one true God of the Bible, monotheism. We'll talk about that. So much beauty ahead. But thank you for listening. We're so glad you are. And uh, I pray that you will have an incredible weekend. Make sure you get plugged into church, serve the Lord, and celebrate his goodness. And we'll catch you next time right here. God bless. And just a reminder that this is a listener-supported ministry. Would you consider becoming a partner for just $5 a month? We're blessed to know that the teachings reach thousands of listeners like you every weekday through our radio partners and through the podcast. We could use your help for the price of a cup of coffee. If you've learned something from Pastor Michael's teaching, or if you've been encouraged, please help others like you. Visit walkintruth.com to donate. That's walkintruth.com. And join us on Monday for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 36 called A Historical Narrative. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.